Welcome to the Trinity Western University Chapel podcast. It is our prayer that these chapel talks would bless your heart and they would draw you closer to our Lord. We offer them to the glory of God and for the good of the world. The two verses that I want to focus on today are Hebrews 11:27 and the other passage is Exodus 14:10 through 14. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified, and they said to Moses, was it because there were not enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord that will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. How many of you have started to create your CVs, your resumes? This is not a rhetorical question. You can raise your hand. Okay, good, good, good. Have any of you done volunteer work to make sure you are the best candidate for the position? I want to see hands. Good, 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 good. Good grades, good job, good references, no gap years. So it looks like you have been productive throughout your young adult life. Our hero of faith today has an intriguing resume. However, for most of the prominent positions in our society, Moses' resume would have been chucked in the bin because of his failure of leadership. But in God's kingdom, things are stunningly different. Let me go into his impressive biography that qualified in God's kingdom to lead his people out of slavery, out of Egypt, into freedom. One, born into slavery, not a great start. Two, adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, okay, getting better. Three, raised in royalty. Wow, probably a great education. As a young adult, he identifies with his people, the slaves. He could be a social justice advocate, good. Rebels against his adopted family, possible NGO director. In his desire to become the leader of his people, he kills a supervisor, an Egyptian, who is being cruel to two Israelites. However, the murder backfires on him, and he must flee into the desert for 40 years. He marries, settles down, and shepherds his father-in-law's sheep. I think he's given up. This is my life. I blew it. Oh, yes, and not a natural speaker in front of large groups. How could he speak for God? Game over, life done, started out very promising, but then one major failure. Coupled with his inability to speak well in front of large groups, and he is disqualified from becoming a successful leader. Or wait, is he? I would like to challenge the status quo assumptions in our society that determine if someone is a good leader. 
dynamic, charismatic individual who relates exceptionally well with others, has a vision, not necessarily God's vision, but a vision and can affect change in people. I would challenge these assumptions and say that the three necessary qualifications for being a powerful leader in God's kingdom is your love for God, your obedience to him, and your desire to serve others, despite whatever you have done in the past. Let me repeat that. Your love for God, your obedience to him, and your desire to serve others, no matter what you have done in the past. When God called Moses to be the leader who will bring the Israelites out of slavery into freedom, he picked a man who had made a huge mistake in his young adult life, a man who then lived in obscurity for 40 years and merely managed his father-in-law's sheep. We probably wouldn't choose him for our leader, but when God called him to serve via the burning bush, Moses eventually obeyed him. Let me just give you a quick recap of the burning bush experience. While Moses is out shepherding his father-in-law's sheep, God, the great I am, speaks to Moses from a burning bush and introduces himself to him. I am the God of your fathers, of Abraham, of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this point, Moses hides his face from God. He was afraid to look at God. God tells Moses that he wants Moses to lead his people out of Egypt into freedom. Moses likes the idea, but not the idea that God has chosen him. So he has the audacity to talk back to God. Hmm, he sounds a bit like us. First question, God, who am I to free the Israelites from the Egyptians? God, I am with you. Who do you say, who do I say has sent me? The God of their fathers. What if they do not believe me or listen to me? I will show them miracles through your staff that God of the fathers has appeared to you. I am not really eloquent, God. I will teach you how to speak. Please send someone else. In God's anger, he told Moses that Aaron, Moses' brother, would speak for him. Moses eventually listens to God and leads the Israelites out of Egypt, not fearing the political powers. When God told Moses to lead the people out of Egypt, he told Moses to lead them towards the Red Sea. This seems like an odd way to route Moses and the Israelites because there were shorter ways, perhaps less treacherous or dead-endish. Now, why did God not tell Moses to take them on the shortest route that would get them directly to the Promised Land? Well, I can think of several reasons, but the one I want to focus on today is that they needed to see God's mighty power at work in their lives and in Moses' life. They needed to know that it was not from their own brilliance, adaptability, and strategy that they were moving towards freedom, or from their leader's brilliance, adaptability, and strategy. God wanted to show them that it is his power and might that save them from their bondage. But the crazy thing is, Moses led a group of people who did not ultimately trust Moses or God with their lives. He is like any of us, the Israelites are like any of us today. Most Christians believe that God exists and loves us, but we do not trust him with the daily of our lives. 
God wanted to show them that they needed to rely on his power, not their own or their leader's strength or strategy. So he tells Moses to lead the Israelites to the Red Sea, knowing, knowing that they would be put in an impossible situation. What happens next is remarkable. When they see the Egyptians behind them and the Red Sea before them, they know that they cannot escape. They start complaining to Moses. Let's see if some of their complaints might be our complaints as well. Why did you lead us out of Egypt? We had a better life there. Did you lead us out so we could die? Here is Moses' response to all their complaints, and his responses are profound. Let's listen well. Stand firm. Don't give up or give in. You will see the deliverance of the Lord. It is not about the power of the leader. It is about the power of God. The Lord will fight for you. Wow, the creator of the universe is the one that will fight evil for you. You need only be still. Now, this is the hardest thing for us to do, be still. But often when we are still, we can actually see God work. We can see the invisible hand of God in our lives. It's not about us anymore. Our focus is on someone greater. Notice Moses' stance towards the Israelites. It's not about him, like it was the first time when he killed the Egyptian. It is about seeing God at work. You will see the deliverance of the Lord. The Lord will fight for you. Now, from my review of Moses' life, I realized that there are two types of potential godly leaders, and Moses encompasses both of them. When Moses was young, he thought he could help his people. These are the I-can-do-it leaders. The problem is with the subject of the sentence, I. If God has called us to do something, we will not be able to do it unless we rely on God, totally, really rely on him. We will not be able to accomplish what he wants us to do in our own power. We'll be like Moses when he was a young man. He wanted to identify with his people and show them that he was for them, but he made literally one fatal mistake. He tried to do it on his own, but failed and killed another in his attempt. Grave consequences for all concerned. Then there are the people in God's kingdom who say, I can't do it, with the emphasis this time on the can't. God couldn't possibly use me for anything. Look at what I've messed up in my life. If I hadn't done this or that, if this hadn't happened to me, I could really be a great Christian. We would be like the older Moses at the burning bush. I can't possibly do this. Send someone else. I'm not even a good speaker. But the crazy thing is, God can use our profoundly flawed human selves to be part of his redemptive plan if we love him and desire to serve him in serving others, no matter what we have done. And Moses eventually grows into this way of being, a leader for God, one profoundly flawed individual who attempted to do it on his own and then disqualified himself because he was not ready yet. Eventually, he listens to God's call and becomes the one that leads God's people. He trusts God. But I know a few of you are saying, but that's Moses. It's not like that today. I can't possibly be a leader for Christ because I struggle with pornography. 
I struggle with anxiety. I'm addicted to drugs, to sex, to alcohol, to social media. You are in the camp of the I can't do it, with the emphasis on the can't. Or are you in the I can do it, with the emphasis on the I? You are like the young Moses who had his act together, who trusted in his own abilities to lead, and we know how that ended up. For both groups, I would like to say that Moses is the perfect, the exemplary leader. He is all too human in his response to life, his responses to God. But even in his all too human life, God used him mightily when he listened to God and helped lead his people out of Egypt. What made him a great leader? He chose to lead even when he felt incapable of leading and he led not to glorify himself, but to glorify and show God's mighty power. Now, most of the Christian leaders that I know that love God, want to obey him, and serve others have had a Red Sea experience. They have experienced some darkness that either they have inflicted on themselves, their own major sin, or inflicted on others that God in his mercy has redeemed. Either of these scenarios has brought these leaders to their wit's end, and they realize only by God's grace are they able to move into a redemptive way of being in God's kingdom. When I was young, anywhere from seven to 10, I used to get so mad, literally mad at the Israelites for not trusting God with their lives. I would go talk to my parents about it. I would tell my parents that the Israelites had seen God performed so many miracles, but they still did not trust him. How could they not trust him? Well, when I became older, I realized I too was an Israelite. I too had seen God's mighty hand in my life and others. And even though I believed in him, I did not trust that he really loved me and wanted my good. Along my way, I found myself in an impossible situation. It was a catch-22 my Red Sea. And if God loved me, I at first thought, he wouldn't have put me in this situation, this predicament. Now, as I look back, I recognize that I put myself in this predicament, but I blamed God. I was confronting my Red Sea. God, in his infinite mercy, met me in my darkness, and I followed him, mostly fighting all the way, steeped in anger and resentment. It has taken me a lifetime to trust God with my life, but ultimately I've come to know that God desires my greatest good. Now I know I can trust him. Not that my life is super easy now, it, it isn't. My Red Sea was my watershed moment, no pun intended, that shaped who I am today. I shudder to think if I had not trusted God, I would not be standing up in front of you today. What is the Red Sea in your life? The Red Sea hasn't parted yet. What holds you back from believing that God wants to deliver you from your bondage? Do you think it is something you have done that can never be forgiven? Do you think it is some situation that God or others could not possibly understand? The space that the Israelites found themselves in is what I call a liminal space, a space of the not yet, 
but of trusting and hoping that the triune God will deliver you. You cannot turn back. You have already passed through a threshold of no return. You are frightened to move forward, but if you do not, you will die emotionally, spiritually, physically. The only thing you can do is trust, and God will meet you in this liminal space, the space of the no return and the not yet. Perhaps you need to hear Moses' words to his people. Stand firm. You will see the deliverance of the Lord. The Lord will fight for you. Just be still. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will. All I have and call my own, you have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do what it, what it, sorry, do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me, and I pray for you. Amen.